We all have things that we seek this Christmas, uh, and that's really what we're going to spend the next few weeks uh, thinking about uh, as we think about the incarnation of Christ and what that means to us, but also get us to push it and think the other way of what it is that we, that we look for this Christmas season. Um, I love Christmas. Uh, I love everything about it. Um, I love to walk in here and see the decorations. Uh, I will tell you, I had a meeting here yesterday morning, and somebody asked me, they said, well, you must have an entire team, a uh, production team that does all your decorations. I said, no. Uh, it was about two or three people who spent all time, and so I'll give Arlene a little bit of praise this morning. Uh, as representative of, I felt so bad all week long, I kept going, should I call people? And they're like, no, we love it. Uh, but it was just, I mean, they, but they enjoyed doing and decorating, but it's beautiful. Uh, and it's a, it's a great uh, testament to what this season uh, is all about. Um, typically what we do in sermons during Christmas and Advent, Advent and Easter are really hard for preachers because it's the same story and most people you know the story. Uh, and so you stop and think a lot of times what we do in, in uh, Advent is we'll take the, the prophecies of Isaiah and the Old Testament and we'll look how Jesus fulfills that. Uh, and so it's a way to push us to think about it. Or we follow Mary and Joseph, which I've done and you'll hear me do again. We follow Mary and Joseph and think about how what they experienced in, 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 in leading up to the birth of Christ. Uh, but what happens often is we... We get through Advent and January comes, we start a new sermon and sermon series and we don't really ever stop and think about some of the Christmas stories that we read in scripture. Uh, and so what we're going to do this time is we're going to do a little different, we're going to work our way backwards. So we're going we're gonna to go into the Christmas stories, Mark, Matthew and Luke record several different encounters with the Christ child uh, and think about what people sought after in Christ and then we'll work our way back to the birth of Jesus. Uh, and so we're going to do it a little bit different uh, this year during Advent. And so we're going to start months and years after Jesus' birth, and we're going to look at the story of Herod. Uh, and so I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but if you've got your Bibles, it is okay to bring your Bibles to church. Um, if you're tired of hearing that, Bring your Bibles. Um, so we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2, and it's the first, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 16. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1, says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious laws and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. 
After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, that's, that's a pretty disturbing story. It's probably not one that you've ever heard a Christmas carol sung about. Uh, it's not probably the picture that you have on your Christmas card. Because we like Christmas to be pretty. Right? We like Christmas to be decorated. We like Christmas to be all in a very nice, concise package. Peace on earth. Silent night. All is bright. That's what we like and feel good about Christmas. But I do want you to stop and realize that embedded in the Christmas story is murder. Embedded in the Christmas story is the slaughter of innocent children. And when we read Scripture, when you read the Gospel, what you want to do, and I would encourage you to always do this... Think about the context. Think about why the author wrote. I mean, they had thousands of stories to pull from. Why did Matthew use this one? Luke didn't. Matthew did. So why did Matthew use this? What are we supposed to learn about ourselves? What are we supposed to learn about God in the midst of this difficult passage? So let's think a little bit about context today. The text begins that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So what do you know about King Herod? Uh, King Herod was the ruler from 37 B.C. to 3 B.C. He actually became the ruler in 40 40 B.C., but it took about three years for him to overthrow um, the throne, for him to take the throne. And so uh, he was one who led with a lot of military power, a lot of military uh, fight that was given to him uh, through the Roman uh, government. But, but Herod wanted the people of Israel to see him as the anointed king. See, he knew what they knew. He knew that, that thousands of years earlier, there was this mighty King David, and the prophets foretold that there would come someone in the line of David that would be mightier than King David. And so he wanted the people of Israel to see him as the messianic king. But he had one problem. Anybody know what his problem was? He wasn't Jewish. So uh, he he wanted the people to see him as the anointed king, but the Jewish people knew that he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't one of them. He was somebody, but not really. Uh, He was an Edomite, so kind of he was connected, but 
he had to do a lot to prove to the people of Israel that he was the anointed king. They knew that he wasn't anointed by the uh, high priest as the Messiah would be. He was anointed by the Romans. Uh, and so he was constantly trying to prove to the Israelites that he was the Messiah, and yet they knew that he wasn't. And you see this tension that exists between the people of Israel and Herod. He rebuilt the temple to get on their favor. He rebuilt the temple for them. Um, but he put, when you went into the gate, he put this golden eagle so that it would represent the Roman Empire. So they appreciated the fact that he had built a temple, but he actually did something in building the temple that repelled them. So you hear this tension that exists between Herod and the people of Israel. He, he built lots of big things in order to show how powerful he was, but they always were promotion of Herod. He built an entire port city. It's called Caesarina Maritima. And he built an entire port city. And the greatest thing in that port city was his palace that overlooked the Mediterranean Sea. Last year, I told y'all, he built the mountain outside of Bethlehem, the Herodian, a man-made mountain. He built that in order to be able to overlook the people of Bethlehem so that he would show how powerful he was. He constantly was doing things to try to prove to them that he was the Messiah. Do you see the tension that might exist? Why would he do these things? People often do this kind of activity when they're insecure. So out of his insecurity, he tried to prove to people who he was. He, he married Miriam. Uh, he married well. Miriam was the granddaughter of the last great Jewish king. Her great, 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 I don't know how many greats it was, how many great, great, great grandfather was uh, one of the Maccabees. If you've ever heard of the book of Maccabees, he was a Maccabee who led and, and, and conquered the people of Judah or the land of Judah from the Greeks. And so she came from a good line. But that creates a problem for Herod because she is Jewish. And all of her family are in the line. He's not, so they're a threat. So do you know what he does? He kills them. He kills her uncle, kills her brother. He loves her, one of ten wives, don't get it, one of ten wives, but he loves her the most, but yet even though he loves her, he kills her. Has two sons, he kills them because they're all threats to him. This is the kind of person that Herod is. Augustus Caesar is quoted as saying this about Herod, it was safer and better to be a pig in Herod's house than to be one of his own sons. Herod wasn't known for his building projects. Herod was known for being a, a ferocious uh, ruler who did horrible things out of his own fear and insecurities. This is the context of our text when the wise men knock on Herod's door and say, O king, we've come to worship the newborn king. Where is he? Do you hear how Herod might respond? He was fearful. He was frightened. He didn't celebrate Jesus. He was 70 years old and he made the decision instantaneously. He was going to do whatever he could to not let that newborn king see the light of day. So he says, go back to Bethlehem, find this Christ child or find this child, worship him. And then when you get done worshiping him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. 
But the wise men are warned in a dream not to go back. And Herod realizes that the wise men have tricked him. Now, this may have taken months. It could have taken years for him to realize this. So he sends the soldiers to go and kill all of the children that are of that age in Bethlehem. That's part of the Christmas story. There's a movie, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they show it. such, I mean... I, w- I wouldn't show you the clip because it was so disturbing that part of the Christmas story is children literally being ripped out of mother's arms. It points to the evilness and the brokenness in the world that we live in that comes out of fear, comes out of insecurities. Why does Matthew put this in here? As I said earlier, Luke doesn't. We have to remember Matthew is writing to a Jewish population. And he, he points this story in a very parallel to a story in the Old Testament. Moses. Because the story is very similar, is it not? In the sense that Moses, they threaten, I mean, they go in and, and, and kill the children. You see this parallel that Matthew shows that it took a courageous act Dennis talked about the courageous act a few weeks ago of of Moses' mother. The courageous act of a parent to save Moses. It took the courageous act of of Jesus' parents to save him. Moses was in Egypt. Jesus flees to Egypt. They both come out of Egypt into the promised land. These are parallels that you're supposed to see in order for Matthew to be showing his reader that one is going to come who is greater than Moses. But there's more in this story than that for us. What do we take away? You see, I read the story of Herod and I think about the fear and the insecurities. And I ask you this morning, what are your fears? See, there is a part of Herod in all of us. There's a part of Herod that's in all of us that reacts sometimes out of fear and insecurities. A few weeks ago, I had a good friend of mine in ministry. His name is Chris, and he called me, and he was telling me about another friend in ministry, something that was really exciting that was happening in that other person's ministry. And I don't know why. I do know, but I don't... You know how I reacted when he told me? I began to talk bad about the other person in ministry. And I stopped. I'm literally working on this sermon. And I stopped and I said, I don't even know why I did that. It was insecurity. It, it was insecurity that this person somehow was doing better. It's the reason that you gossip. And don't tell me you don't. It's the reason that you gossip is because rather than celebrating something that's going on in somebody's life, we, we want to tear them down. Because it's better to tear them down than to build ourselves up. I'd like to think that I'm better at that. But every once in a while, 
it creeps back in and I realize there's a part of Herod in me. See, God gave us a fear mechanism. It's a good thing. It tells us when something's wrong that we should run or we should fight. But folks, when our fear mechanism gets caught up in our sin mechanism, it becomes a problem. And we begin to do things that we wouldn't normally do. We blow things out of proportion that don't need to be blown out of proportion. My first house, Claire and I lived in a small house, um, would have been called a starter home back then, and uh, we lived, there was about 50 to 75 houses that lived in that subdivision. And as we were there, word got out that the county was gonna build next door to the subdivision, a piece of property. They were gonna build a home for mentally challenged adults. You would have thought the reaction of my neighbors was appalling because it was so fearful that the property values were going to go down. Not in my backyard was the statement around the neighborhood. We do things that we wouldn't normally do out of our fear and our insecurities. It's the reason that we have so many conflicts in today's world. The gospel tells us that the perfect love of Christ cast out all fears. We overcome fear with love. But what we have to do is we got to stop. If we're going to gain any wisdom today, we got to stop and ask ourselves, what is your insecurity? What's your fear? How do you love someone that maybe you're fearful of? I'm going to tell you all a strange story, and you're going to think it's weird when I say love someone you're fearful of where it revolves my grandmother. But many of you know, my grandmother's been sick, and I had the uh, privilege. I would not have called it a privilege, uh, but I had, had the privilege of going and visiting my grandmother. And um, I didn't call it a privilege because my grandmother and I don't have the greatest relationship. She was not the come sit on my lap kind of grandmother. She was more distant. Uh, I never really got to know my grandmother that much. And so I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do for four or five hours uh, at the hospital. So I took my computer so that I could work uh, while I was sitting there spending time with my grandmother. But my grandmother, she would not shut up. Uh, She talked for five straight hours. Um, But... I made the, I went with this fear of how things were going to be. But what my grandmother began to share with me was she grew up with an alcoholic father. I didn't know that about my grandmother. She said he would come home and they would play games. And then he would start drinking and he would pass out. She said he was a totally different man when he started drinking. That was my story. My dad was an alcoholic. He would start drinking when he got home and he would pass out in the chair. All of a sudden, me and my grandmother, we were the same. We had the same common story. 
this person that I was distant from and that I was fearful of in a sense. We had such a common bond that I left with an entirely different experience. But you have to push yourself to think about what your insecurities are and what your fears are for you to allow the love of Christ to be able to come in and perfect you. Then we get to the rest of the story. Joseph wakes up with a dream that's so real. Have you ever had those where you wake up and think, was that a dream or did that really happen? Joseph was keenly aware that God had spoken to him in a dream. He heard God say, you got to get up. You got to go. Herod is coming, coming now to kill your child. He woke up Mary. He got Jesus, bundled them up. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the experience that they may have had knowing that they had to leave? They had to walk to Egypt through the desert. Let me show you a picture of the desert that they would have traveled through. I want you just to imagine. Now, we like to put the donkey in the story because it makes us feel better. It's the pretty package. We don't know that there was a donkey. They may have had to walk that far. But it would take 30 days to walk the distance that they had to walk in order to flee and I think about the parallel that takes place in the world today. So many people fleeing their homes, their villages as refugees. It's hard for us in Henry County to imagine that. I've told y'all before, my first mission trip was to Venezuela. And one of the images that I will never forget in my life was seeing a refugee camp of people living in cardboard houses. And they had one little stream that were running through their little cardboard village. It's where they got their water. It's where they cooked. It's where they went to the bathroom. It's where their animals bathed. This was their village. Do you know they say today 15 million people or refugees out of their country. Another 27 million are refugees within their country. 42 million people are displaced from their home. The same story that's taking place in the Bible is happening today. And while it's hard for us to hear the story of Christmas through their eyes, because it's not been our experience, I want you to stop for just a moment and think about what they may hear when they hear the story of Christ. That Jesus walked in their shoes. Jesus knew their pain. You see the power of the Christmas story when you look at it from different perspectives? See, we read the gospel as though it fixes things. I've had people tell me, you know, I tried Christianity, it just didn't work. What do you, what do you mean? It didn't work. We think that the Christmas story, we think that Christianity is going to fix things. That's not the point of the gospel. It doesn't assure us that everything is just going to be rosy and well decorated. I mean, Jesus died on a cross at the age of 33. Why would we even think that that's the point of the story? 
God created every single one of us with a beautiful gift of being able to make good decisions, but also bad decisions, to bless people or to hurt people, to choose light or darkness. God sent his son to show us the way. God sent his son not to fix everything, but so that we could understand that he's with us, that I'll walk with you, that I'll love you, that I'll be with you no matter what you go through. Let me tell you, both of my kids have had bad dreams in their lives, and they will come to me. They came to me when they were little, and I wanted to fix it. They weren't looking for me to fix it. You know what they wanted? They wanted me to come and lay in their bed, wrap my arms around them. I couldn't take the darkness away. I couldn't take the dream away. But I could just be with them. That's what God tells you. That I'll walk with you. It's what Isaiah says. When you, when you go through the floods, I'll be with you. So the psalmist says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. It's what Jesus says when he says, I will never leave you, nor I will forsake you. God has a way of of redeeming and walking with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. He doesn't leave us. In his very presence gives us hope. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for hope. We thank you for the promise that you give us this Christmas season. That you are with us and that you will never leave us. We thank you, Lord. That even though there may be a part of darkness that is inside each and every one of us. That allows us to, or gives us the freedom to to make poor choices and bad decisions. Even though we have probably all done things that, that hurt others that we've all reacted out of our own fear and insecurities, that we've all participated in gossip and tearing down of other people. Your light overcomes darkness. And we do thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.